Assalamu alaikum guys and welcome back to another episode of The Word Affairs. So today I'm going to jump straight into it because we have a very, very special guest on the podcast. So um, I have been wanting to invite this person on the podcast for probably a very long time. Um, He has actually massively blew up and yes I choose to use the words blew up on TikTok and Instagram in the last few months I literally watched him grow from like below a thousand all the way to like 18.3k literally just checked right now um so I'm just gonna let the podcast speak for itself today and just before I do get into it. I'm going to quickly drop his handles because I totally forgot to do that when we were recording. Um, but you can find him on Instagram and on TikTok. Um, just search in danish.medic. So that's Danish with a double A and he will definitely, definitely pop up. This guy's got like 60k on TikTok anyway, mashallah. So yeah, I'm just going to get straight into it and let's hear what Danish has to say for us today. Okay, guys, so we're here with, um, well, he's formerly known as Danish Medic on Instagram, but I'm just going to kind of like pass it to him so he can basically introduce himself. So go on, take the stage. Oh, God, I've never introduced myself like this before. <laughs> um, so uh, my name is Danish. I, um, I'm a biomedical science grad. I'm a third year medical student. Uh, in my spare time, I make video content now. <laughs> so I guess I can call myself a content creator. Um I'm a Muslim, of course, and that's kind of what my content is centered around, as well as medicine. So, yeah, I think that's all. Oh, and I'm 24. <laughs> Great. <laughs> okay. Uh... Perfect. You know what's the craziest thing? When you were talking about the content creating, like, I literally saw your account grow, which was insane. I swear I saw the point when you hit a thousand followers on Instagram. I remember. Yeah, I remember. I've been following you before then. So you you saw the raw, like, you saw me before, basically exactly and then like next thing you know I think I just I think I went on your account and boom you're at like 15,000 Allahumma barik but literally like I was like wait what the hell like this is so crazy and then the, the TikTok that literally shot up how many do you have on TikTok just for the record because I know you're trying to be humble <laughs> um with almost at 60,000 yeah so maybe like a thousand off or something like that <laughs> see mashallah almost <laughs> 60,000 yeah so guys he's a bit of a big fish out there <laughs> no but, I swear yeah. I'm not it's the same me I always tell my friends this as well like you know I, people in uni man it's so weird since this has happened coming back to uni this year yeah um I'm also like known as um I share my notes in med school so I like I, may, I have a website my notes are on there and obviously I plug them to the first and second years because I said this will make your life easier but now when I meet people in uni, they're like, oh, are you Danish, the, the one with the, with the website, with the notes? I'm like, oh, oh my God, yeah. Can I can I just meet someone who doesn't know who I am? <laughs> you know what's no, so it's, funny? It's really nice. I think it's, I think it's beautiful, though, that you're getting recognised for a good thing. Like, imagine how amazing that is. Because, I mean, we can always get recognised for different things in life. It's better to be recognised for something like that. Because not only are you helping yourself, you're helping other people as well. And that's really, really good. Like, so I definitely, I'm not saying blow your own trumpet but I am definitely saying take a little bit of pride in it <laughs> but um I know exactly how you well not exactly how you feel because obviously you show your face whereas like I don't but um I remember when I first started uni people were like are you the wood affairs and I was like oh no wait they recognize your voice yes well my voice and then they also recognize my stethoscope oh no way what color is your stethoscope so my stethoscope's brown and gold I still have it by the way even though I don't that's a use for that's that's a unique color. I've not seen that one. It is, but it was the great engraving on it. Um, 
because my dad got it engraved for me and he basically engraved it with bismillah because obviously like every job starts with bismillah and then i remember just like making a, like some content on it and it just kind of like blew up and then everyone was like i'm gonna do the same thing and then i, I went into uni and everyone was like oh i remember like i actually followed you and at that time I hadn't really spoken to anyone about it so everyone was like I followed you and like I know you and I was just like oh my god I'm cringing like I'm dying on the inside (laughs) um but yeah and then next thing you know I don't know what happened to it but yeah um so yeah but you are on the 10 times bigger scale than I am so that's really good mashallah um but yeah so anyway guys I basically asked Danish to come on to the podcast today because I know a lot of our listeners out there are um first and foremost like Muslim um and obviously like our podcast basically targets that type of stuff uh we target islam we talk talk about our deen we talk about um basically motivating ourselves to become better muslims every day but not just that also we talk about studying and you know here bits and bobs of medicine um but that's basically danish's like speciality um so i asked him to come on and chat to us because um yeah i definitely think that you guys can all take a leaf out of his book um because this guy's like really really productive mashallah so yeah first of all which i do have a question um how did you do it like how when did the whole productive phase begin uh do you know what it's not like a phase or anything it's it's part of my personality i think literally since i was as young as i can remember five six years old i've been into being organized i've got um i still got my old desk the one i had when i was seven eight years old at home all the drawers are labeled stickers are on them it says on all of them keep this tidy i was so meticulous as a child growing up and it's all i've always been like that yeah i can ask my mom (laughs) i've just been i've always wanted to make my bed i've always wanted to like have things my way in my bedroom i like having structure low-key i think i have ocd um i think so but but it's not a it doesn't affect me negatively so i've never gone to the doctors to get diagnosed because what's the point like i think it's a good thing um alhamdulillah so i'm grateful for that but i do think that probably drives the whole organization side of my life um that being said when i got to uni especially first my first degree learning how to live alone and having three years you know this is my sixth year in university living out so six years of living away from home teaches you a lot about how to go about life how to cook how to clean how to study exercise sleep do all of these things and I guess you could add to it that I'm just obsessed with health anyway like I'm obsessed with getting good sleep good exercise a good diet these things bring me joy that's the main thing if something brings you joy you're more likely to do it you know, I don't you don't have to convince me to eat healthy or go to the gym or sleep on time I will do them willingly and I get bothered if they're not like if I'm not on a routine so that's that's essentially how I did it yeah and practice I'd say you know my um I it kind of it's kind of sad I get so many students asking me for advice on productivity and I hate telling them this answer but the truth is it does not come like this like yeah, you will not change in a month I would honestly say you won't even change in one year. You need a few years to get to like a very high level. Every year I'm improving bit by bit and I'm changing things constantly. I've tried I've tried every strategy there is and you have to do that and you have to find what works for you. It's such an individual thing. So I say to people like just continue in life as you go through more experience with routine and how to stay organized. You'll find what fits, what works for you. I think that's really crazy you talk about that because... It reminds me of how, like, me, my, me, myself, like, I always, for as long as I can remember, loved waking up early. I think me, I'm that person where if my day is not packed or if I'm not doing something, and I've got, I mean, bearing in mind about how busy I am, like, 
obviously I take out the type of friends and family and stuff but sometimes it does get a lot like for me like this week is one of those weeks where every single day I've had something non-stop but at the same time I feel like there there comes this certain sense of satisfaction from it I don't know if you feel that where you're like okay I know that alhamdulillah like today I had a good day like I know that I put myself to some good use and I got the stuff that I wanted to to get done and stuff and it does feel good but yeah like you said it doesn't just happen overnight that's that's 100 for sure like for example something else one is waking up early that can yeah. be such a big struggle for some people initially because that's just alien to them um and you know what's so crazy i have realized like um when you're in school obviously that just becomes natural like you know waking up at this time going to school whatever but then it's when you've left school and you've left that you know very rigid education system and now you've gone into college you've gone to uni and those are very very important times to find yourself as a person and then on top of that you're now trying to figure out okay like how do I basically make the most of my day and stuff like that so if you pick up those habits early because there are there are a lot of young listeners um currently listen to this podcast and my biggest advice for you guys would be um if you can start now if this is the type of lifestyle you kind of want to lead because it really really helps like I always talk about this but it was crazy how back in the da- you know the times of the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he was uh advising the sahaba to basically wake up earlier and start their day earlier and they were just like why they were like why would I do that why would I wake up at Fajr and start my time and start my day with Fajr and then one of the sahaba started doing it and he was like the amount of benefit he saw in his lifetime. Like he was just like, by the time I've got all my bits and bobs done, everyone else is getting up and going to the market and I'm done. Like I'm done with my time. And that was really, really beautiful because I feel like the earlier you wake up, it is quite true. I just don't know what it is about it because some people can argue and be like, yeah, but like, you know, you can stay up at night. You can still have the same amount of hours. What do you think about that? Because I have so much to say about it, but go on. What do you think? So I heard I hear some people say that, oh, I'm a morning person or I'm a night person. I'm a night owl. Personally, I know there's maybe a bit of science to back it up. I don't believe in it. I think you're a morning person if you sleep on time and you're a night person if you sleep late. That's simply how it is. I have been like that guy who stays up till 2, 3, 4 a.m. And I've also been the guy who wakes up at 6. You can do both. You just have to adjust your life a little bit. And when you mentioned the life of the Prophet, um, I looked into that actually maybe last summer or a bit before that and uh subhanallah his lifestyle is like it's the best lifestyle how can you question that there's anything better than what what he did sallallahu alayhi wasallam and um you know if you look at the time between fajr and dhuhr there's there's six seven hours that is enough time to get the whole day's work done like that is literally what i do i wake up at fajr and then you have six or seven hours where you don't need to pray in those seven hours like you pray fajr you don't need to make wudu you can focus on work whereas if you try working from 12 till 7 in the afternoon like 12 p.m till 7 p.m you've got the whole then you have asr then you have maghrib and if you're doing something it's not like it gets in the way but it's it takes you away from the flow of work so if yeah. you work from fajr to zohar you can completely focus no distractions and there's other things like how many people are awake at six or seven in the morning not many is your phone active at six seven a.m no are people awake is social media active is there an event going on no there's no distraction like even if you wanted to be distracted it's quite difficult to find something or someone and if you finish your work by 12 1 2 3 p.m you have the whole day left so it's i think it's the best way to go but it's not easy (laughs) the transition's not easy no you know society is built society is built around nine to five uni is built around nine to five which is not ideal um but you're gonna 
you just have to adjust you know so there are days where i work in the evening you know like tonight i'm gonna work in the evening like after i do this podcast because this morning i was busy and i've just had to adjust today but then tomorrow i'll pick back up in the morning again so yeah. you need to be a bit flexible you can't expect every day to be exactly how you want it to be yeah no 100 i agree um and it is like you said it's not easy there's gonna have you know there's gonna be times where you basically regress or you you know you fall and i feel like we're talking about it as if like as if it's like the end all and be all and that's not really necessarily true we're just trying to basically highlight the benefits of it I think I've done about at least two or three episodes or at least I've mentioned this regularly in my podcast where I'm like guys like you know there's so many benefits in waking up early and um, early and stuff but there is one thing you know that you were talking about and it's reminding me is how you were saying how you know you don't have to pray between Fajr and Zohar time and you don't have to wudu and you know what's the crazy thing so say you get all your time done then there's only two times in the day where the angels descend and they are basically seeing what the believer is doing at that time because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks the angels, what is my servant doing at this time? And that is at the time of Fajr and that is the time of Asr and that is the time when the two angels swap, right? And so they'll go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they'll be like, your, you know, your servant was doing X, Y, Z. So imagine, I'm just like throwing something out there, but imagine you've got all your work, like you were saying, right? Between Fajr and Dhuhr time. So then at the time of Asr, where we know it's like one of the best times to basically get your ibadah in and get your zikr and stuff like that. And the angels are descending at that time to switch over. So when they go back, they can literally say to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like, you know, he was he or she was doing this, they were reading Quran or they were doing zikr or they were praying, you know, nafils or whatever. But the point is like, you know, you've, you know you've got your work done. So that's not really going to be a distraction from your ibadah as well. So like, it's really crazy because, you know, we always say about how Islam is a way of life and, you know, the Muslim lifestyle genuinely, it helps you. And it does, like, there's just so much out there. I mean, I'm sure there's so much research as well to back it up. But um, yeah, just uh, regarding that, I do have some questions for you. Okay, the first one, I was basically going to bring this up because obviously you were mentioning how you did biomedical science, was it? Yeah, yeah. it was. Which is crazy because I also did that at uni, biomedicine. Um, but I never knew you did. So I remember seeing it on your story one time and I was like, huh, what? <laughs> yeah, I, like, I remember that. You thought I was like 19. Yeah. <laughs> <Didn't> you? <laughs> I thought you were 19 years old. And and I'm not, I'm not going to, I actually genuinely thought you looked 19 as well. Which I don't know, if it could be offensive or not. I'm not sure, I'm no, sorry. No, no, I get that a decent amount. I mean, it depends. Some people say I look 19. Some people think I'm older. I think when I start talking, you can m maybe tell my age a bit more. That's why I was confused. I was like, he looks 19 and I feel like he's 19 considering he's in uni. And then when you come out with that bombshell, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. Um, But yeah, no, Um, biomedical science and stuff like that, which is also equally a very hard degree. So hats off graduating with that <laughs> but obviously you decided to then go back to university to do medicine right yeah um so I wanted to know obviously you probably get this question all the time about what you know made you want to be a doctor but more specifically did Islam play a role in that and if it did how okay I'm gonna give you the long answer <laughs> go on go for it go yeah for so it. um I always wanted to do medicine um but I don't think I truly knew what medicine was or my real reasons for doing it until I was 21. <clears throat> so um, growing up, I had an uncle, my mom's younger brother. He's a GP. And I kind of looked up to him. I found his stethoscope really cool and his office really cool. I was like, yeah, I want to be like that. And as soon as you say it in an Asian household that you want to be a doctor, <laughs> no, one, <laughs> no one forgets. <laughs> no no so, one forgets, yeah. There was, low-key, there was a bit of, not pressure, but almost like a small bit of expectation like yeah he wants to be a doctor when he's older um alhamdulillah 
almost there now. But um, when I was 18, I applied to medicine, actually, and I didn't get in. You know, I was I remember I had an interview and then I was rejected from all of my unis. And then I went to do biomedical science because I honestly couldn't be bothered to go back to school. I just thought I want to go to uni. Everyone's going to uni. And I just went and I just took biomed, my backup option, which I had no clue about. You know how I picked my uni? I went to Aston University for biomedical science. I Did had you? to Google. Yeah. Um, and I had to Google, where's Aston? As soon as I got the offer, because I was like, where is this place? How have I picked it? I picked Aston because it was first in the alphabet on um, UCAS. No, you I didn't, didn't even. I'm well, so no scared joke. right now. <laughs> I went on. This is like, this is why I just think Allah's plan is Allah's plan. Like you can. Yes. You know, we plan a lot, but you gotta just trust Allah's plan. Because look at the way I chose this university. I was so so I was so confident. I was like, yeah, I'll get in. Don't worry, it's fine. So I just thought it's biomed. I'm not going to do this backup option. It's my fifth, you know, choice at uni. Pick the first one I saw, Aston, and I remember looking at the grade boundaries. Like, yeah, it seems fine. Add it, and I ended up going there. Um, alhamdulillah, I loved it there. Really good what time. I loved Birmingham. Yeah, it's almost like a second home. You know, I try to visit. You know, whenever I can. Um. So while I was in my undergrad, that's when I started to look into what do I want to do with my life? Probably in my second year, when I really started to deep, like, where do I want to go after this? And I honestly looked for alternatives to medicine because medicine is long, it's difficult, it's competitive, it's uncertain as well. Like, yeah. I, there was no guarantee of me getting in. And I was like, OK, let me just see what else can I do. And honestly, nothing else satisfied me. I, I almost like fell into psychology because I really like psychology. Mm-hmm. But even still, I was like, yeah, but you can't do this, this and this. But any kind of medicine, there's barely any anatomy. I want to do anatomy. Um, so the decision came from a few things. One was I loved working with people at the time. I used to work as a student ambassador, a waiter, retail. I was a mentor, tutor. Every time I was with people. I was enjoying myself like it wasn't even like work I thought you know what doctors talk to people all the time um I actually want to go into psychiatry because I just love talking to people I'm not too fussed about medical procedures um so I was like okay medicine fits that I'm obsessed with the human body like I will voluntarily read books about science and um, psychology read about the brain the body in medicine you learn all of that as well and then the other which I think is probably the main reason is that Imagine having a career where your career is to help the lives of others. You know, as a Muslim, that's you're getting good deeds from your job, which I think is amazing. SubhanAllah. Alhamdulillah for being in a profession that allows that. And I think I should give credit to my mom because there was a moment where I was I was in biomed and I was thinking about medicine. And I, I remember I've had many conversations with my parents about future and whatnot. And I remember telling my mom, I was like, you know, I might do psychology instead. I remember this combo. I was quite adamant I was going to do it. And I remember she just looked at me and she was like, she's like, you know, why? And I was like, you know, medicine's hard. I don't know if I can get in. And she really instilled the belief in me. Alhamdulillah. No, I get exactly what you mean. I know how you feel. Like literally, especially after the Her Name is Hannah podcast digital episode. Like that's a different feeling. I'll cut this part out, but. You can leave this in. <laughs> you can leave this in. It's fine. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, yeah, my mom, she basically explained to me that, like, I don't know, she said it with so much belief. Like, she said, you know, you will be an amazing doctor, inshallah. I truly believe that you can do this. And I don't know, there's a, a switch went off in my brain. And I was like, okay, you know, she says I can do it, then I can do it. And... Oh, my God. You know what? I'm sorry to cut you off, but I, oh, sometimes you ever sit there and think, subhanAllah, like the way Allah created mothers. 
do you ever think that because it's just like yeah, all the time I don't understand like it's so insane because I know this is really off topic but men and women are so are created so differently but I feel like women are created the way they are because truly like the world would not exist without mothers we the people like me and you we would not be where we are today without our moms you wouldn't be where you are today without your mom and literally like even no matter how hard it is whatever your mom could say one thing to you like one word of reassurance you're like yeah I'm I'm, I'm on top of the world like I could be the king and that's the power your mom has and that's crazy because like you're gonna forever be attached to that you literally came out of her womb if you think about it subhanallah like it's sorry but that just really blew my mind because she literally no, no, said one fine. thing to you and you're like yeah. yeah that's it I can do it it genuinely was one short conversation and um it just changed a lot and uh also the fact that making your parents proud like the the thought I remember that there were day, there were days where I would, be, I would just be on a drive or something and I was just visualizing, like, imagine I got in. Imagine being able to tell my parents how amazing would that feel. And even now, whenever anything happens in life, not just university, but if anything happens, the first person I call is mom and dad. You know, alhamdulillah, like, the feeling, like, their joy is my joy. SubhanAllah, that's true, you know. That's like, oh, my God, stop. Because you're going to get me emotional. <laughs> oh, no, that's actually so true. Like, yeah, like anything happens, you have had the longest day ever and you come home and you, your mom's just there and you're like, mom, this happened, this happened, that happened. Your dad, this happened, this happened, that happened. And it's like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's not news until you've told your parents. That's how I see it. Like yeah. you can tell your friends, you can tell your brothers, you can tell your sisters. Um, And it's like, yeah, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, like their happiness is amazing and it, it makes you feel good. But like, until you told your mom or your dad, that's when you're like, okay, now I feel good about it. That's just the way I see it. First people you come and I don't know, like, alhamdulillah for mothers, alhamdulillah for fathers, and alhamdulillah for the ability to have a good relationship with them because sadly not everyone gets that. And that's something we have to accept yeah. as well. So there are people out there who listen to this that probably may not have the best relationship, but it's fine. Like, it's still not too late. We can still kind of like fix it and go forward with it because seriously your best friend in this world will be your mom no one will ever love you the way your mom will it's literally unconditional but yeah like by by the way i will cut this far but there's like eight minutes so i'll have to like carry on yeah. don't worry take care yeah. and i'll just you know but yeah, yeah carry on yeah that's so true about um your parents being your biggest supports you know um i only realized this maybe after i turned 20 so for any of you like younger listeners or even older listeners doesn't matter what age you are if your relationship with your parents isn't exactly where you'd like it to be if they're alive you have an opportunity to better the relationship and you should and I feel like I experienced it like it can feel if you're not as close to your parents it might feel a bit weird to try and change yeah. what's been the same you know if it's been the same for 15 years 10 years to just all of a sudden shift it, it it's not easy but just do little things you know like do little things that will make them happy make them breakfast bring them a cup of tea just do small acts like this and they'll pile on top of each other and over time you'll develop a better relationship and there is nothing there is no relationship more valuable than the one with your parents True. you know your parents are the only people in this world who uh unconditionally love you and um they what's the word the phrase now they want what's best for you like they wallahi they just want what's best for you yeah. no one has their best interest at heart more than your parents now my it's parents true. they've explained this to me so many times you know like they keep telling me like our advice might not seem like what you want at the time but it's you you're at the center of what, the advice that we give you when you go to a friend or you know any work colleague or 
that some sort of mentor in life yeah they can give you advice but you're not at their best you know your best interest is not in their hearts only your parents have that and it's it's something that Allah has put there like I don't think you can replicate what they have um so honestly look after your relationship with your parents yeah it's not easy like you said like it's not easy but yeah it takes time it takes time exactly it takes time and I feel like genuinely like you said did you say you realized at 17 uh no it's even older to be honest I'd say 19 20 and then I'm what I'm 24 I'd say the last four to five years have been like unbelievable the amount looks the amount of trust that I've built with my parents alhamdulillah it's amazing at this point they are my best friends you know I don't I'm not too concerned like I love my friends but I'm honestly a family guy it's just mom dad and my my siblings like that's my life uh exactly that's beautiful like that that's rare as well but it's really beautiful like I know exactly how you feel like I only truly started to realize the look not that hey I never I never realized a love before but yeah, like 19, 20 years old, I, I definitely say for me as well, so much happens like in life as well as you're growing up and you just start to realise like you're going through such massive changes and like you will go through times where like, oh, God, I'm going to have to like cut this out. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't want my voice to break. <laughs> um, but it's true, like you will go through times where it's so hard and the only people you have that is like your your friends are amazing. But, like, the way your mom and your dad have your back, it's, like, no one else. And it's so crazy because I don't know what it is, but, yeah, I agree with... And then your your brothers and your sisters, like, you literally... My brothers are literally my lifeline. Alhamdulillah, like, everyone says it, and I would definitely say my best friends are my brothers, like, hands down. I love my best friends to the, you know, forever. But the way it is, like, with me and, you know, especially my little brother, it's just, like, on another level. And I wouldn't give that up for the world. So, yeah, family, I do think... And I think this comes naturally when you get older as well. I yeah. think definitely. Because, you know, you get to that stage where you start to slowly think, okay, right, maybe I should start considering, is it time for me to, like, maybe figure out, like, maybe I'll get to this position very soon. I'm getting to it sooner than later. Maybe I'll have a family of my own one day. And then you start to slowly really, really realise family is so important. And you can't you can't replace that with anything else. But, yeah, anyways, so we were talking about you going to Aston. So oh, carry yeah. on with that. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I was in my second year. I think I just finished my second year, and I was like, okay, I'm seriously considering medicine. Um, I've given the reasons why. There's some. There's actually a really. Oh, I love this story. So when I was in Aston, I was like, okay, I'm in a university. I might as well look for lecturers. You know, people higher up who can help me out. And Aston was opening up a medical school the following year, and I was like, okay, this is perfect. Let me see who who I can get in touch with. So you know, I went to like. I did what I could to get in touch with the lecturers and I asked them, can you help me get into medicine? Can you help me? Uh, all sorts. Um, and the amount of Muslims that helped me and the way that these happened, Savannah, these stories like blow my mind to this day. So first off was I spoke to one of my lecturers. He passed me on to someone who organizes placements for like medical students. And he got me my work experience with a surgeon. The surgeon was a Muslim. And like it inspired me so much that he was Muslim because I went to one of his anatomy lectures and he talked about the history of anatomy and he was talking about all of the Muslims who had like studied anatomy way back in the day, no like way. all of the medical discoveries. And I was amazed. I was like, wow, that is that's still something I'm yet to look into, like the Islamic history, because Islam is Islam is so rich in history, subhanAllah, on everything, on astronomy, on maths, on algebra, on medicine. And we don't appreciate it enough. And I feel like we don't even know about it enough. Like you literally just said yeah. that. And I'm just like, I'm like, what history? Like There are me, so many like, things, you know? 
That's crazy. Um, and then what happened was in my in Aston University, there's like a vibrant Muslim community. Um, I started going to um, I started going to the Jummah there in the university rather than like the masjid. And there was I used to go an hour before Jummah because I didn't like making wudu in a place when it was all wet. <laughs> I'm a bit of a clean freak. So I would go when it was empty an hour before. And one day I was just walking to Jummah and no one's there. No one goes an hour early. And there's some, you know, some guy was following me behind and I, I just kind of, I kept opening doors and he was behind me. So I kept holding them open for him. As I got to the place where you take your shoes off, um, he just, uh, I went to make wudu and then he just asked me, excuse me, what time is Jummah today? And I said, oh, it's uh, um so half past one, there's still like an hour left. And he was like, okay, no problem. And then he just, you know, he said, Salaamu Alaikum. I said, Walaikum Salaam. And he goes, uh, I'm, I don't know if I should drop his name. Yeah, it should be fine. I'm uh, <laughs> Dr. Asif Ahmed. I'm the dean of the medical school. And I just shook his hand and I was like, no. I had, my hair was standing up on my arm. No I had goosebumps. Way. I was like, okay, that's a coincidence. I said, um, it's funny you say that. I said, I'm actually looking to apply to medicine next, uh, this next year would you be able to help me out and he literally was like yeah of course he and he Aww. gave me he didn't just go this is the dean of the medical school he gave me his personal whatsapp phone number he okay, gave that's me so rare. His, that's right rare. I, he could have just said here's my office and email you know yeah. but no he gave me his personal number and he said i'll put you in touch with the lead of admissions and then he put me in touch with her who was also a muslim lady and she honestly she helped me with everything in the application and um wow. there's another story about her and something that she told me which relates to all of my content so this is like full circle this whole story so after I met the dean he put me in touch with his lead of admissions and this lady she was like head she was the one who all the personal statements come through for medical school okay. and alhamdulillah she was helping me and she was taking I was crazy she would work. We'd we I used to work on like open days. I'd be working like eight in the morning till four p.m. So was she giving lectures all day, and then she would spend like an hour or two with me afterwards, you know, voluntarily, just like going through my my application. And there was a time where I sat down with her as well, and I was saying, you know, oh, it's like oh, you know, I've just I've only got, I had a two one at this point. I I had done my degree, and I was okay. almost uh, I was on a gap year basically, uh, about to apply, and um, she was telling me she, uh. I didn't really believe in myself that much then. I said, you know, I've only got a 2-1. And she literally just like, I've I've actually got the piece of paper where I made the notes on of this meeting because it's quite dear to me this moment. And uh, she said, you know, Danish, she she fully like said to me, you are more than capable of becoming a doctor. She said, you've got a 2-1 in biomedical science. You know, there are students who have got less than you that have gotten in and they've become amazing doctors. She, she really, she had passion when she told me. And I was like, okay. And she really fired me up. And I really needed that at the time. And um, she helped me with everything. You know, she read my personal statement. She advised me on where to apply, how to apply. And she also gave me her personal number. You know, she didn't oh, give me her okay. office number or her office details. She was, you know, I was so grateful to her. And I'm still yet to visit back to say thank you after I got in because COVID happened and I just struggled to get in touch with anybody. Um, but I remember our very last meeting when I'd finished everything, sending off the application. I just went to see her one more time just to finalize things. And, you know, up until this point, in every meeting I'd had with her, there was no mention of Islam so far. Like, it's quite, medicine is quite, you know, you have to, there's this unspoken thing that you just don't mention religion as much. Yeah, It's meant to be a professional environment and 
people tend not to talk about religion too much. It's very rare to find someone talking about like religion in within the medical field. In our last meeting, I just said, you know, thank you so much for taking the time out to help me. You know, you did this voluntarily and I'm just one student. And she said something that really stuck with me till today. She said, you know, don't thank me. She said, I, I should be thanking you. She said that, um, you know, we're not really meant to be, we're not meant to speak about Islam and stuff because you're Muslim. And I was like, yeah. I'm <laughs> and, she, and she said, you know, Allah's put you in my path for a reason. You know, I have the opportunity to help you. And she said, it's my duty. She said, if you come to me and you need help and I am in a position where I can help you, it's my duty. I have been put in this world to help you. Like, it's, no, it's no coincidence that you're there. And then she also said, uh, I hope that when you become a medical student, when someone comes to you for help, that you also help them the way I have helped you. And so it all makes sense now. It, yeah. I how get can it. I not, how can I not... Um, yeah, after hearing that, every time someone messages me, you know, like tonight, I'm reading two personal statements tonight because two my students messaged me yesterday. Like, I can't yeah. say no. Can't <laughs> I will say never no. say no. Yeah, you just can't. Like, I honestly say this to all. I'm sure you have med students who listen to your uh, oh, podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or even university students in general. If someone comes to you and they ask you for help and you're in a position where you can help them, it's your duty to do so. Like, you just should. If you're like, why wouldn't you help them? It just, I don't know, it just doesn't make sense how you cannot. Yeah. And the feeling you get, you know, the, the rewarding feeling when you help somebody, especially if they get in, like there are students in the year below me who I mentored and tutored on their way into medicine and like seeing them around the med school, just like doing it, it makes me so happy. And yeah. that's what keeps me going. You know, you asked me earlier, like, how do you produce all this content? How do you, this is what keeps me going. Like the messages, the people who actually watch the videos, find it useful and give me feedback like yeah this really helped me please do more of this I'm like okay of course so like it's not like I don't I don't need motivation to do any of this um I will do it out of will because I know that one inshallah like it'll give me good deeds and inshallah. two this is like this is what I feel like is my purpose in life it's just to to give service to others in whatever yeah. way I can and for me it's through studying it's through giving tips about Islam, <laughs> tips about med school. You just do whatever you can. It all makes sense now. Like the whole circle, like you were just saying, that does make sense. I think I know exactly how you feel because anytime I make like videos or I like do the podcast so many times, in fact, deep down, like I thought, okay, I think I should end the podcast. Or I think I should basically end the, you know, content, content creating or whatever it is. But then I literally get a message and people are like, you know, like, subhanAllah, like, it's helped me so much or this, that, that. And I'm just like, ha. first, I feel like I'm in that position where you were so many years ago, where she basically was like, why do you not think you're capable? I'm there where I'm just like, but how? Like, I don't understand, like, how it's helped or, like, I don't believe that it's got the ability to. And then when people message me, I'm just like, I'm in a bit of a shock, really, because I'm just like, like I never was expecting it to help that much or even like help. Like I was just, you know, putting it out there thinking, okay, maybe if one person listens to this and my job is done. Um, and then the That's same with Instagram. Yeah. Like if it helps one person, it's worth doing. Because I think a lot of people have this block where they're, you know, obviously I'm, we're both creators and alhamdulillah, we have audiences. Mm -hmm. But, you know, think back to day, you had a day one and I had a day one. Yeah. And on day one, it's just like your friends and your family looking. Yeah. But, even if one person gets a bit of benefit from what you post and what you share, it's worth doing. But yeah, if anybody out there, by the way, is think I always say this, if you're thinking of like putting yourself out there or, you know, um, thinking of like, I feel like I can give something back, definitely 100% do it. Do not 
do not let yourself fall into that trap of I'm not good enough or you know it's not going to be anything beneficial or there's already people out there doing it like don't think that just do what you've got to do because everyone's unique everyone's got their own way of approaching it um but yeah anyways regarding that because obviously you spoke about you know being a Muslim you spoke about being a Muslim during your time at Aston and then obviously now in medicine I think it does kind of relate back to how it kind of all started and I feel like we all have different journeys with Islam and growing up with Islam and you know we always say even if you're born into the religion you have to still find it but coming to you how was it for you to basically grow up with Islam like how and you know how did the logistics play out with that one during your childhood so when I grew up it was quite Alhamdulillah for my parents is what I'm going to say because the best example I have is mom and dad you know they were they I think they did it they did their best of course but I think they did it in a good way where instead of like forcing things upon us as kids they just practiced it themselves to the best of their abilities and just set the example so um as far as I can remember like mom and dad always prayed alhamdulillah and that just that alone is does so much you know I remember just watching tv and I'm just seeing like dad laying out the prayer mat and I'm like okay let me just turn this off I'll go upstairs and pray as well like you don't need to tell people around the house to pray. You just, that's the way to do it. That's yeah. like a better way to do it. When I went to masjid, that was an interesting one. Um, I went to masjid like old school masjid where you just go in, you read, you know, you read your Quran to the, you know, to the imam and then you just kind of memorize a few surahs once you've finished and that's it, you're done. And, and then, then you, you just leave and, you, and then you go home and like, yeah, you don't get taught anything. I didn't same. learn anything about, no hadith, no nothing about the life of the Prophet I couldn't name a sahaba, I could yeah. like nothing. You know, the edu- it wasn't, and you know, at the time it was difficult because like there weren't any like the way masjids are run now. Alhamdulillah, it's so good to see they actually give you proper Islamic knowledge. Um, even the masjid I went to has changed drastically, but back then that's all it was. So when I was 15, 16, 14, 13, 14, I just wanted to get out there, which is it sounds really bad to say, but. If you turned up late, they would hit you with a stick, you know, and like, yeah, I didn't, I, I remember these, I remember just being terrified of the masjid. Like, it shouldn't be like <laughs> yeah. that. It shouldn't be like so, that, right? Yeah. So when I finished 14, 15, I kind of came home. I was finished, right? And then 15, 16, 17, I was 17 years old when there was a new imam in the masjid. And, you know, I used to go, obviously, for Jum'ah, for Ramadan. And we were always quite close with the imams. And this one, particularly, I don't know, we, I was, we were good friends with him. He knew my dad very well as well. So I used to spend more time in the masjid. And he just randomly said to me, like, um, why don't you just come, you know, to the masjid? I'm always here. You can come just sit with the kids, whatever. And he said, you can read Quran to me. And I was like, okay. So at 17, I went back. And at this point, I remember I was 17. All the other kids are like six, <laughs> seven, eight years old. So I was almost like a support teacher in the masjid. When he was absent, I would the kind of TA. take over. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and um uh that's when I actually uh, he that changed a lot for me, you know, that year. Um I remember one day it was time for Maghrib and I was by the way, I've I've probably come across as confident now. I was not always like this. I was very shy back then. Same. Um and I remember <laughs> my dad came to pick me up after well, he would come pray Maghrib with me and then we'd go home and the Imam just said, Oh Danish, go give it then. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the microphone? <laughs> and uh, oh my God, I was so scared. I was trembling. You know, I remember my voice was shaking. My dad has the video. I remember I'm wearing no the red buddy. Yeah. Um, and I gave her that, kind of messed it up. And it wasn't amazing. <laughs> but when I came back, he said, okay, we're going to work on that. And then 
it became a regular thing every day I was you know alhamdulillah this is where I, I think I started to fall in love with like recitation and just all of that I started learning um he he told me a few surah I, I used to love I've always loved surah rahman so that's when I started learning surah rahman as well and um that imam actually ended up leaving um and I went oh. to university like a couple of months later anyway but um I tried to continue what I was doing in the background so I just on my own would get Quran, listen to reciters, try and like practice my tajweed, my recitation, which is still an ongoing journey. It's really hard. That's what I think. I feel like when you do it on your own, I mean, like you can listen to the recitals and stuff. Like, you know, the Quran app, like, I think, I don't know if you use it, but it's really good in the sense of like, you can, I don't know, you can basically pause it on one verse, one ayah, and he can read it again and again, loop, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I'll listen to it, I'm like, trying to, like, I still find it so hard. Um, But yeah, like, I've heard so many people say who you know who do have the like yeah like a teacher is the way forward but it's hard as well like when you're for example all the way down god knows where for uni it's hard yeah but um yeah, yeah so I think I started to like rediscover Islam then you know at that age 17 18 19 and then I think when I got to um I knew of like Mufti Mike my mum my showed me like Mufti Mike when I was like 13 14 but honestly I wasn't in the right headspace to find interest in these talks and stuff. Uh, but when I got to like 18, 19, I was at university at Aston, um, I started going to the ISOC, you know, okay. the gatherings and that ISOC, oh, mashallah, those brothers were so good at their, the events they used to run. I missed that so much in Aberdeen. That is the one thing I missed the most. I used to go, I remember I had, I was so low key in my under, my undergrad. I, I had about five friends who I played football with and that was it. And I was fine with just this little group. So when I got to my final year, I thought, let me like get involved a bit more in this uni. Started going to the ISOC and the way I was welcomed by all the other brothers. I remember going to little talks with them. And I remember the the guy who was giving the talk, he was some um some scholar, and he would ask questions like, Oh, which battle was this? And like all the other guys putting their hands up and they know all the answers. And I'm like, what yeah, like, are they talking about? What's yeah. the battle of Uhud? What's the battle of this? I didn't know any of this. Yeah. I was like, okay, I got work to do. So I started I started just basic just basic youtube videos i just started watching lots and lots of youtube videos and you know allah says if you take one step towards me if you take a step towards me i'll come running towards you yeah and it was exactly like that i just had a little bit of effort watched a few videos went to a few isoc lectures and things like that and then i don't know i don't know how to ex- it just happened <laughs> you know like yeah, no. things just started to pile up um it was it was nice like a snowball effect um yeah yeah Definitely. and uh yeah now it's I, I can't believe where it's come to <laughs> like never it's would crazy, I thought right? I never would have thought that I'd be making videos about Islam like subhanallah me neither <laughs> I never ever, ever thought I'd be sitting here on my podcast and feeling this passion where I'm like everyone needs to know about it I don't know if you ever feel that but like you're like okay I know what I know and that's limited as well let's be real like we're not scholars nothing like that. I'd never even claim to ever be anything remotely like yeah. that yeah but like even the little that we know which is like oh my god how can no one know this or how is it that everyone's out there like they don't feel this and like I feel like I have to show and you know sometimes we do a good job sometimes we do a bad job regardless but like the point is yeah there's this sense of I don't even know you know it sounds cringe but like the only word I can think of it that could basically fulfill it is a word in Urdu and it's gushish there's some sort of gushish in it where it's like everyone like you just want to tell the world um yeah do you know when when some when you experience something and it's so good you're like now nah, i other people need to experience this as well right yeah like you know yeah. the khushu when you read the quran and you exactly. when you know when you properly connect 
and you you know tears are flowing and you're just like you forget about the world like oh it's so it's that's like all you want right there yeah that is like it's it's the best feeling in the world and you can't even explain it it's only something you have to experience exactly and i i do pray that everyone experiences that may allah get everyone to that stage and keep us as well at that stage and never let us let go of that um because it is really beautiful and yeah even the little steps like you know one person can can learn a dua and then be like guys do you know what this dua means like can you believe it goes this deep and it's just the beauty in the little things and i feel like you know what really makes me sad though is i was i was driving the other day and i was listening to this podcast by um Qalam institute right if you've not guys if you've not listened to it please listen to it but it was about the journey and basically it's the whole concept of this series it's really really scary i won't lie to you and it is quite hard but it's about the journey from death all the way to like the day of judgment and like the resurrection and all of that and yom al-qiyama and everything and it's really scary like I will not lie like sometimes I'm driving and my heart's kind of like pattering but what made me so sad was how we'll never ever truly be able to understand in our lifetime every single aspect of Islam like not every concept like people specialize in yeah. stuff right people specialize in hadith <laughs> and Quran and stuff but we'll never be able to do that Zabi. yeah there's even if you spent your entire lifetime just studying Islam you would never reach the end of it that's that's the best thing about it I think because there's no end which there's I like no end it means you should there is it doesn't matter where you get in life you know it keeps yeah. you humble you it don't does, know everything there's always more to know which means when you talk to other people you're never there's always something to learn which means you should listen like these things are just i feel like good character is just embedded in islam so so well and yeah. it's almost like you don't even have to try you just have to follow the basic principles and you will improve yourself yeah definitely um, okay, so regarding that, I mean, I feel like you kind of already answered this question, but do you think it was difficult to hold on to your dean during university? Because uni is quite a hard place, let's be real. Yeah, I've had ups and ups and downs. Um, definitely experienced that. And, do you know, having had six years of experience at university, I feel like it's my responsibility to sort of look after the younger students who are here now. Like, mm-hmm. Every time the first years come up and I see them, I think the other week, oh, it's so nice, man. I went to the masjid for a Jummah and Jummah finished. I'm just like finishing off my Zuhur prayer. And then like a group of like young students came in, seven, eight, nine of them. And they're all discussing like, okay, how are we going to read Jummah? Who's going to lead? How do we lead? They're Googling it. I just thought, I just, oh. I just thought like, yeah, may Allah keep you on the right path. You know, mm-hmm. I love seeing young students like that. And it's so good to see, and especially in this day and age, because the amount of fitna in university is... Um, uh, yeah. It is. It's crazy. And it's not easy, you know, like, um, I have, like, I have, I don't like to, you should never look down on another Muslim. And uh, I have, yeah, I have sympathy for the ones who kind of fall onto the wrong path, because sometimes I feel like for some people, you might need to deviate a bit before you come back. Yeah. And it teaches you lessons along the way. But I've definitely experienced it is difficult. You know, like I think the other day I was at the badminton society, just playing badminton, and they're like, "Oh, do you want to come to one of the socials? We're going to this club." And I was like, "I, I don't do clubbing." And they're like, "Oh, you can come to the pubs beforehand." And I was like, "I, I don't drink." And they were like, "Oh, just come and have a lemonade." I was like, "You don't yeah. understand. I just you this just whole don't environment... sound like exactly. Oh my god, they just don't get it." There's there's very little inclusivity for Muslims in university. Like I yeah. honestly in then because besides ISOC, what is that? Like it's so well, it's difficult. So one thing that happens in in my in the masjids local to here, one of my good friends, um, shout out to Fahad man. Fahad is one of the best friends I've ever met. Allah, he is such Aww. a good guy. 
uh, Fahid Fahid listening up, to like, this right now with tears in his eyes, like what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fahid set up this uh, a youth club in uh, in the masjid. So like they have free food, they have a small khutbah where they just have a little talk about something Islamic, and then they have like table tennis and a PlayStation, oh, and it's a place for people to go on Friday night, Saturday night. So they're not going to the other places. That's you know? good. That's it good. It brings spot. all the Muslims together, and the talks are directed at youth. So, Mashallah. and it's yeah. So, little things like that. Look for these things. If you're a student in your university, I see this a lot. A lot of students will go to uni and they don't bother with ISA because they think, oh, they have this perception of what it's going to be like. Just go, man. Just go. You'll meet somebody. You'll find something good, and you know it's the best thing you can do at university. Go to the masjid. Fight. Get involved with other Muslims, and you'll find good company, and that should keep you away from. My big regret was not ever getting involved in ISOC. I never I never went ISOC. I, I would know. have pegged you as like president of ISOC. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never set foot in ISOC. But the reason for that was because I was very much that kid kid. I just went uni and I went home. Literally. I had like three friends. Um and I was happy. Like that was me. Um and also I was commuting, so that was quite hard. Um, but yeah, like I would just go uni, do my lectures, literally that's that Okay, bye guys, I'm going. Like literally that was me. And I just I was just happy. And then also like I was working two jobs and everything. And I just didn't have the time. But I mean you can always make time. But yeah, and I also like I had no idea. I had didn't know anyone else who was going I saw either. So yeah, but um yeah, I do regret that. Like I, I'm like, oh, did I miss out on something? You know, like but yeah, no, it does sound absolutely beautiful. So biggest advice I'd give to everyone, yeah, just like you said, go and join the ISOC saying that yeah. as someone who never went <laughs> but yeah definitely join it um, i think having gone into medicine after doing biomed i have a lot of regrets from like last uni that i didn't get involved in this this or this so that's why i'm doing the most in this degree like i know how quickly uni goes and i because i had a year out after biomed um and it was covid year i know the feeling of going from uni surrounded by people your age lots of friends and stuff to just nothing like you're just at home yeah. everyone's working people are too busy to get together so oh yeah you know, it, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't get better than that like literally that's it after that yeah so <laughs> make the most you know make the most of your time at uni it's actually such a special time and I don't care how much work you have you will <laughs> never have more free time than you do yes. in uni like you don't you don't realize it till after you're like you know what I'm I actually have bags of free time Li- oh my god so it's so funny to this because I not I was saying this literally before we started the podcast right so Guys, me and Danish were basically talking about this. And I was just saying to him how I've been so busy the whole entire week. Like, literally, I've had one thing after the other one. This is actually a relaxed day. This is this is a calmer day for me. Even though, like, I'm literally sat here, like, recording this with you. Um, And I was like, I, don't, I literally was saying this to my mum. Oh, my God, I literally came home from work and I had to go to the shops or whatever. But I was like, I don't have any time. And she's like, you chose this. And I'm like, yeah, but, like, I'm happy. But, like, I don't have any time. And it's true. Like, when you're in uni, I used to think to myself, like, Obviously, I was on the masters, and obviously, I, I left it. But still, like, how did I have so much free time? But then also come home, like, it's just insane. So yeah, for everyone out there who's who may be going to uni or you're in uni right now, after uni finishes, trust me, like, real adult life hits you. Like, the education safety blanket is lifted, and you guys no longer will find it so easy to meet up with everyone and stuff like that. So make the most of it, definitely. But um, okay, so. I feel like this is something you kind of touched on a little bit, um, but it was about how you were saying how medicine and religion doesn't really mix. Um, and I have noticed that as well, how medicine is very standard in the box. Like you don't kind of like, you have to call it in the boxes, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So I like, don't even mean that. Yeah. No, I mean, right? You can't, you have to call it in the boxes. You can't be that person. But like, having said that, do you ever feel like medicine and Islam clashed at any point for you? Have they clashed? Uh, so far, I don't think so. But we would, I was discussing this with a friend today, and there are some moral, ethical decisions you have to make as a doctor which mm, don't right. sit right with me entirely. So I'll give you an example. Today, we were learning about, um, taking the history of like patients who have STIs, right? Sexually transmitted infections. And we were looking at the laws behind this. So if you have a couple, a married couple, and the you speak to them separately because it's confidential. If the husband is cheating on the wife and has HIV from cheating, and he says, don't tell her, you can't tell her. But what if like, he gave her HIV? So unless he's like deliberately going to do that if he says no I'm, I'm not gonna like i'm not gonna pass it on to her or whatever like you don't have the right to tell her it's it's a legal thing i can't so there's a lot of i mean obviously i'm gonna oh. adhere to the gmc and the confidentiality and all this but like, there's a lot of weird things and like i was talking to my friend and he was saying he doesn't want to be a gp because of the these moral ethical dilemmas you're going to be faced with oh, there's okay. you know medical ethics and medical law these are very interesting there's a lot of interesting topics um but I, there hasn't been really, there hasn't really been a clash. I think you can avoid everything that would potentially clash. Like yeah. you, if you're not comfortable doing something, you could just say so and not do it. Alhamdulillah, I, think... I don't think there's been any clash. For me, it's been the opposite. Medicine that's has it. improved. It's increased my iman like tenfold. Okay, that's good. Hundredfold even. You know, like when you learn about, oh, we're we're doing the reproductive system, so learning about how babies go from like a small cell to humans. And there are some things in medicine that they can't explain. I absolutely love it because it happens all the time. We're doing a lecture, someone says something, and it's like, wait, hold on, why does that happen? And they're like, oh, we don't know yet. And you're like, you're telling me in this year, with all the technology and everything that you have, you, just you don't, don't know. know. And yeah. there's some things that like we will never know because like there's just nothing. So for example, when you have like um the babies being formed, this is in literally like the first week, they have um the just like the blob of cells. One part becomes the head, one part becomes the feet. One side is left, one side is right, one is front, one is back. The way the cells decide this is front, back, up, down, left, right. How? There's no explanation. There's no, there's no like axis. There's no like, there's just no explanation to it. SubhanAllah. And like, we learn about what goes wrong. We learn about this can go wrong, this can go wrong, this can go wrong. And I'm just sat there in my lectures just watching like, okay, here are like a list of a million things that can go wrong with pregnancy. And I'm like, and I'm sat here with full functioning limbs, looking around like everyone else is like, well, alhamdulillah, like if you have, if you can see, walk, talk, smell, hear, and you're like normally, then you don't know how blessed you are. Like, yeah, subhanAllah, it's, it's true. SubhanAllah. And you know, all five years of studying that we do, we learn things one by one, like, like one system, then you learn another one. But in reality, they are all happening at the same time, interconnected with each other. I like no one will ever be able to create something like that like I don't know honestly I don't know how you can study medicine to this depth yeah and not agree that there is a you know a creator, creator. some yeah there's a creator like there's no way this happens by chance it's too it's too intricate it's too perfect it's so perfect I cannot Amazing. you know so as someone who loves organization the way the body is organized subhanallah I absolutely love it like sometimes I'm just like confused and I'm like why does that happen but it just makes sense. Everything makes sense. Yeah. I think for that, if anybody's ever sat there thinking like, or if you are not Muslim and you're listening to this, 
there is a certain argument that you could look up um and there's a lot of articles and books written on this we learned this in islamic class i think it was about two weeks ago and it's called the gulam cosmological argument and basically the argument argument goes along the lines of like how you know everything has an end and a beginning and a creator and a cause so if you believe that the universe exists and you think oh yeah the big bang theory happened or whatever like that but everything must have a beginning so therefore if everything has a beginning it was created and therefore it was created it must have been created by a creator and that's like the simplified version but definitely like there's tons and tons of books written out there um and they explain it a bit better than me but it kind of relates back to what you were saying how like you can just look at something like how did how was this just a coincidence there's no way when you look into medicine like i remember doing like lab work and and literally we'd look through the microscope i'm just like thinking like wait what like I'm looking for a microscope right now at the cells and I'm looking at bacteria that we grew a week ago. We've come back and we streaked it. And I was like, huh, like this, there's no such thing as a coincidence. And I always say this, I'm a big believer in this. There is no such thing as a coincidence. Everything, even something as small as me and you sat here having this conversation, that's not a coincidence. And Allah plans everything for every reason, which is a really, really big thing. But yeah, like the the, the human body, um, is the biggest example of that. That is not a mistake. There's nothing that's a mistake on that. Even something as well as like capillary beds. Like today, like I was talking, I don't know who I was talking to, I can't remember, and I was explaining to him arteries, veins, and capillaries. And I was like, yeah, so capillary beds, and as I'm saying it myself slowly, I'm like, wait, that's so crazy. Like, remember those like um, diagrams you'd seen in secondary school, right? like red is artery, like blue yeah. is vein. But then in the middle, that'd be the capillary bed, and that's purple. And you're like, huh, like what's going on here? But Subhanallah, it just makes sense. Like it just works. So something yeah. as small as that, it's just so beautiful. Um, but I'm yeah, really, gone. I'm really interested in like the brain because I said I want to do psychiatry, and oh, yeah. one thing that like blows my mind about the brain is that there are instances and cases where like a patient's had some injury to the brain. Part of the brain has like died, and th- the job that that part of the brain used to do is adopted by other parts of the brain. Like other parts of the brain carry on doing what that part of the brain was doing how how like because we learned that this part of the brain we learned that different parts of the brain have different jobs but they can take each other like it can take over when something else shuts down but there's no explanation for these things and it's just oh, it's just amazing you know like what? you're just reminding me of something related to the brain and i just have to mention because i remember seeing this on a tiktok and i thought this like this is crazy so you know how you've got different attachment styles right You've got yeah. like avoidant, this uh, anxious attachment styles and stuff like that. So this girl who I follow, she has an anxious attachment style. And basically she was talking about how her whole life, like she's messed up with this and she knows like it was, you know, this isn't okay. She deserves better, blah, blah. And her therapist basically sat her down and was like, you know that. And for the past six, eight months that she's been working on herself to kind of like, you know, know, like I want, you know, better people in life than blah, blah, blah. But her brain can't catch up with that information right now. So like her brain knows that. But basically, she so she still keeps going for bad people because the plasticity of her brain has not yet reached the ability to now formulate that information and basically, like, basically rewire her entire ideas around attachment. How insane is that, subhanAllah? So it's so easy for us to turn around to people and be like, don't do this, or, um, you know, you deserve better, or something else more. This is so not related to medicine, but like, we are it's so crazy because subhanallah the way your brain is made about plasticity and neurogenity and all that type of stuff like that's just it's just crazy um but yeah anyways i'm gonna move on because we can talk about this forever the last um question i had for you was something i like to ask pretty much everyone who comes on the podcast is if you could go back to your younger self what kind of advice or what would you tell them oh damn i wouldn't tell them just one thing i'd have so much to say to (laughs) my younger self younger me um 
the first thing I tell a younger me as a Muslim is to just pray. Um, since I learned that the younger you are, the more valuable your prayers are. They say that the prayer of a young person is worth a thousand prayers of an elderly person. Yes, like, oh, that is true. Yeah, because so, when you're older, you know your life's done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So message for the younger kids as well: don't ever think that oh yeah, I'll just pray when I'm old because you're gonna have to do a thousand to make up for one that you could do now. Yeah. Um, that's the first thing I say. Second is like I'd say to believe in myself. Um, you know, if you. I've always known, you know, I've known for many years that I want to go into like public speaking and I want to do this, I want to do that. I've had, I've got journal entries from like four or five years ago. I'm going to do this, going to do that. And, uh, <laughs> and um, <laughs> Me too. I didn't, nothing, nothing, <laughs> none of this, none of it ever worked until I believed in myself and until I just like forget what people think. So I say, believe, believe in yourself, but don't worry about what other people are going to say. You know, like in anything that you do in life, try not to get put off by society or the people surrounding you. If you want to do something, if you want to achieve something, you want to try and build something, whatever it may be, just go for it. Just do it. Experiment. See how things go. Because I find that so many people are scared of putting themselves out there. And I was like this for many years. You know, it took me a while to get confident in making content and stuff. A good few years. And I wish I just did it sooner. You know, I wish I just started earlier. I never even and... had social media before this. Like, never. Oh, before your podcast? Yeah, like, I never had social media, like, before I started the podcast. So, like, That's like you... yeah. What year did you start? <laughs> when I was 20. <laughs> Literally, oh my... I was 20 years old and I never had social media. And that was also yeah. a choice. Yeah, that was also a choice because I was just like, I don't see the benefit in it. And she was like, I don't see it. It does more damage. Now, my, my parents were quite strict as well on social media. So that helped. Alhamdulillah, I'm actually quite grateful for that now. But also I was like, yeah, I actually don't need it. Like, I'm fine without it. And then I was like, okay, I've done a podcast. And I was like, mm, okay, I feel like I should start on Instagram. Just kind of like put it out there. And then I started getting into it. And I was like, okay, I've put myself out there now. And like, I never expected this. Like I, like, I never expected this. And I was just like, how did I go from having zero social media to now having this? And I'm like, that always messes with my head sometimes. But genuinely, I just agree with every single thing you said. Like, yeah, could have wished no, I'd I done also, it a little earlier. Yeah. I'd, I'd also say, if I could speak to my younger self, is to look after your health. Like, prioritize your health and look after your body the way you would look after some, like if you're caring for somebody else. Mm. I think neglecting your own bodies it's not good to do i think like diet exercise sleep these things are really important i was looking at hadith the other day and um the prophet وسلم, said that your body has rights upon you right your body is not like you can't just abuse your own body your body will testify against you if you do so on the day of judgment so you know being lazy you know eating unhealthy foods not looking after yourself this is why i have like you know i have like a skincare routine and a sleep routine and i go to the gym and i exercise these things are because, you know, your body is an amana. It's a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's your job to look after it. So from a young age, you should make it a habit that you you stay clean. You know, you stay, you want to be strong. You know, look at the lives of the Prophet and the Sahaba, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Sahaba. Um, you know, they they would do horse riding, archery. They were strong. They were hardworking. You know, they were clean. They would make wudu. You know, for back then, it's just making wudu like five times a day. These days... You know, you just yeah. look good, smell good, make sure you're well presented, look after your body, you know, like it's it's such a small, easy thing to do, but I'm telling you, it goes a long way. It makes you come across as a more put together person. People will respect you more. If you respect yourself, you look after your own body, other people will respect you. You will have confidence. 
like I'm sure people can relate you know when you're going out for like a special event you make yourself look nice you get a fresh trim you, you know you iron your clothes for once <laughs> and then <laughs> you feel amazing when when you do those things it should be a regular thing to do all of that and I wish I I mean I, I've always tried to be <laughs> to do my best but I've only seriously considered like looking after myself like that in the last few years uh, I would definitely recommend that. I came across a special a, a bit of a talk I can't remember for the life of me who the speaker was but he was basically saying how nowadays you see a lot of people a lot of young people going to the gym right especially men like you see a lot of men going to the gym a lot of boys like to gain muscle or whatever to look good and he was like yeah you're doing the good thing like you're doing the right thing but always remember your intentions are also very important it's so true Yes. right like intentions are judged by sorry actions are judged by your intentions so he was like okay you may have the best body in town right but when it comes to the day and say, for example, it's, it is an example, but say, for example, they say, okay, everyone has to basically help Palestine and help fight and, you know, do jihad essentially. Are you going to be that person who basically is the fittest in your town, but you're like, yeah, about that, I've got work or like, mm, you know, I've got this to do, I've got that to do. And you basically make excuses to get out of it because you basically don't want to fight. And so he was like talking about how your intentions always have to be pure as well. And remember, yeah, it, it partially is, yeah, an amana and, you know, you look after yourself, you want to look good. That's really good because if anything, that's what Islam teaches us. Those are etiquettes. But it's also like, about the concept of how the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and them and the Sahaba, they were the fittest of the fittest, but also because they were also constantly fighting in the name of Islam and they were basically producing that kind of message. So yeah, I can 100% agree with you in that sense. And for the women as well, because, um, you know, sadly we sometimes let ourselves go quite a bit, especially as we get older or, you know, when you have children or whatever like that. And it is hard. It's harder for the women, especially when you've had children. But remember like, I, was, I say this quite a bit on the podcast as well, but we live in a time where obesity, quite frankly, is normalized or it's, glor- not, I want to say glorified, but I would say like praised or you made you feel like it's okay. And I just want to say in the nicest way possible, that's not what Islam teaches us. We're taught that our body is an amana and we can't keep constantly feeding ourselves things that are bad for us and it's going to give us a bad effect on our body. This body is not ours. Like, this isn't us. It's going to go back to Allah. And once it does, like, we have to basically account for everything we did with it. And so that is also one of the ways to think about it. But yeah, I've never thought of that. Yeah, I've never thought of, like, that being the message I'd give to my younger self. But now that you said it, it's making me think. But yeah. Yeah. I also want to touch on that. Um, Obviously, some people have medical conditions where it's difficult to help yourself. If Obviously, if you fall into that category, then you just do your best, inshallah. And, you know, may Allah make it easy for you if you are suffering from anything. Um, But but on the intentions thing that you said, uh, intentions just in general in life are so important. Um, You know, Allah says that when you make an intention to do something good, the angel on your right shoulder, she uh, writes down the good deed. Like you get the the reward of the good deed just as you make the intention. And then when you fulfill the the good deed, you get rewarded again. Okay, so make your intention, fulfill the good deed. You're getting double rewards. If you make intention to do something bad, you don't get the guna for that bad deed until you fulfill it. So look at the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it easy for us to do good in life, that only until you do the bad deed do you get punished for it. And only until, uh, but just from making the intention of doing something good, you you get reward. So if you're listening to this right now, just when you make intention, don't just do it. Don't just do it half-heartedly. Do it properly. Pause for a moment and just you know pause the podcast and just make intention. You know, inshallah, I'm gonna start looking after myself. Inshallah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this change. And 
you know, if you make the right intention, Allah will make it easier for you. Definitely, inshallah. inshallah. Um, but yeah, that should just highlight the mercy of Allah to you as well. Like, you literally make one intention to do a good thing and it gets written down. Even the fact that even when you do commit a sin, you have six hours before it's written down. And so that's basically Allah's way of saying, if you repent now, it will even be written. Whereas obviously if it's written, then it's erased. But like, if you literally you know make a sin and then you've got that six hour gap to basically repent before it's written down like that subhanallah that's insane that's oh my internet connection apparently is unstable um but yeah that's just insane but um yeah anyways apart from the internet connection being unstable guys um i really really hope you guys enjoyed that so danish have you got any final words you just want to tell anyone before you basically before we wrap it up uh final <laughs> final words um <laughs> god i wasn't prepared for final words uh, you just if you froze listen... when i said that <laughs> <laughs> if you listen this far into the podcast then you know thank you for listening uh i really don't think my words are worth that much but um <laughs> i hope that you benefited from this in some way shape or form and if you did you know i love hearing back from people if someone's benefited from my work it's always i'm sure Kenneth will agree like motivating it feels so good uh, if I, I'm going to leave one message with everyone. Um, if you ever have something good to say to somebody, just say it. Just say it. Tell them. Doesn't have to be a friend. Doesn't have, it could be a random passerby on the street. If you have something good to say, say it to them because it might change their day. Might make them feel a bit good, and that person might go on and do the same thing to a second person, and then that person might go on, and you might set off this chain of goodness which goes all the way around the world, all from you yeah. just doing one small act. So do this, spread goodness, and um, yeah. Inshallah, everyone benefits from this episode, I hope. Well, we might have to get you on again then sometime soon. Let us know, guys, if you want Danish back on the podcast. But until then, we're going to say our salams and take care, guys, until we see you next week, inshallah.